Does God really expect us to obey all of his commands? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hear the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Brian DeBozik, and with me is Aaron Armstrong. Aaron, how many commands have you transgressed today? Oh, um... It's only... It's like... It's 9.30 in the morning as we record this, so I'm sure it's been a ton so far. Um, uh, probably the majority of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, except for some. I, you know, there are I, some that I haven't, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Transgressing commands. We're going to be talking about that cheerful subject today as Mm. we continue, uh, 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 I think, three episodes in a row, back to back. Yeah, we're talking about sin is rebellion next after this. So uh, so this is going to be very familiar ground for for folks. We have a lot of, you know, for people who are familiar with our 99 Essential Doctrines um, in the Gospel Project, there are a lot, there are, there's a whole section that's really just dealing with sin and what it is and where it is. And people might wonder why we do that. And I just want to take a second and unpack that real quick. Part of the reason that we do this is is because our understanding of sin really helps us do two things. One, it helps us understand what's wrong with the world. And so we actually have a doctrine that is is about sin's effect on the world, um, conveniently enough. But it also helps us understand what's wrong with us. And so, and, and in light of that, it helps us understand the beauty of the gospel. So we don't talk about sin just because we want to talk about sin. We want to talk about sin because we want to make sure that, that Christians and really just people, whether they are seemingly far off from God entirely, or they are, you know, long-term faithful followers of Jesus that we all have, um, as close to a right understanding of the gravity of sin that scripture shows us. Yeah, and that's a good point, Aaron. I mean, scripture talks so much about sin. Think about early in the story of scripture. I mean, after creation, Genesis 1 and 2, you start to fall. And then look what you read chapter after chapter, just sin, just beating us over the head with this. Um, and, and it doesn't stop there. I mean, most of the Old Testament failures, sins, and so forth, Um so yet we are not being disproportionate about Scripture's emphasis. Uh, I think the problem is if, if we or others, uh, I know there are some pastors at some churches that, I mean, it seems like they delight in just, you know, fire and brimstone and just talking about sin, and that's it. Um, and the problem with that is, of course, is you need to come and talk about Christ and grace and forgiveness and righteousness as well. You, you've got to treat them both together. But I, I see it as a they, they, they rise and fall together. So the more we understand sin, the more deeply we can understand God's grace and forgiveness. The less we understand sin, the less we can understand. So we talk about sin a lot, but you have to talk about grace, love, forgiveness, again, mercy and so forth as well. And I think that's the, the balance that has to happen. Yeah. And I mean, that's why, um, that's why, you know, as we, as we pointed out the, the last doctrine that we discussed, sin is missing the mark. We talked about, about Romans 3, 3, 23 and 24, where, where it says that, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in 24, it's followed up with grace is available for all through Jesus Christ. You need those two together. And, and getting ahead of ourselves. 
you know, getting ahead of ourselves as we always do. In this episode, we're going to talk about how we are all righteous, completely righteous in Christ, because we've been, his righteousness has been given to us, declared upon us. So, um, yeah, even with these we're talking about, we're, we're focusing on sin, but we're not going to stay in sin even in these episodes. So, uh, pushing us forward, let's go ahead and let's read the uh, essential doctrine as we have it, and then we will uh, we'll start talking about it more. Sounds great. All right, so sin as transgression. This is a lovely dinner table discussion. Uh, the word transgression... <laughs> means to cross over or to pass by and is often used in reference to transgressing God's explicit commands. When God gives a specific command as he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and when that command is disobeyed, transgression has taken place. In this sense, simply, sin is law-breaking. So, that really boils it down. That last sentence of that description, that is the essence, the heart, um, you know, the, the big E on the, on the chart of what sin as transgression is. Sin is lawbreaking. And notice in that definition, there are two words are, are important, explicit commands and specific commands. So we often hear and think about sins of commission and omission. Um, sins of commission being the ones that we kind of, what this is describing, where we know we should not do something and we do it anyway. Sins of omission are when we fail to live obediently. It's, it's when we fail to do what's right, if you will. Right. And that's more uh, what we talked about last week. Yeah, but this one, just to be clear, transgression is more of the commission. It's not really talking about the sins of omission that we are prone to commit as well, but the ones that we intentionally, willfully seek to disobey. And and I think that's important because we got to see our heart behind this. You know, you and I have talked about before. It's one of our pet peeves, our shared pet peeves, and we have many pet peeves. Um, but when we hear people talking about falling into sin or stumbling into sin and while that may happen at times, the sin of transgression reminds us, no, more often than not, we willfully pursue sin. We chase after it. And we have to understand that's how our hearts are, are shaped apart from Christ. And we have to come to terms with that. We really do. And that is something that we don't like at all because, I mean, we, we live in a, we live in a, uh, a time really where... I mean, this has always been a problem, but I think we're more aware of it than I think we've ever been. This this desire to not take responsibility for our own actions, and so we see it, we see it on every level of society. So this is not um, pointing at any anyone; it's pointing at all of us. So none of us like to take responsibility for our actions or our decisions. It always has to be someone else's fault. Exactly, we're always the victim. All right, so let's look at a couple of places where we see this in Scripture, uh, Aaron. Where, where, give us a couple of examples. Yeah, you got it. So, uh, one of the so from a narrative perspective, I mean, in the in the description itself, we we did reference Genesis chapter three, which shows us the first overt transgression by humans, and so that is a, That's an important thing right there. Adam and Eve chose to sin. 
Yeah, and that's a great example. That's where, you know, Eve was not walking along and then tripped and fell and her teeth lodged into the forbidden fruit. Um, it, you know, she didn't, Adam didn't take two pieces of fruit, one forbidden, one not, and kind of do the do the game moving around real fast. Says, right, which one do you want? <laughs> um, and she chose the wrong one. No, <laughs> there was a, you know, the serpent was, was, talking with her and and guiding her to make that decision that disobedient transgression against what God had commanded. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good example, clear example. And so now from a stated more overtly stated perspective, that leads us actually into Romans 5:14 which unpacks that event theologically. Um and and how we're all um, stuck in this mess because of Adam, because it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the one coming. And so this is, this is really important. This, cause this kind of goes into uh, the, the, uh, the reality of, um, both sin nature being passed on from Adam to all of his descendants, but also this idea of, um, uh, really this, uh, this idea of representation, um, within, uh, with, within the, the grand story of, of scripture. And you see this contrast between Adam and Jesus, Adam being the, being the first, being, well, the first Adam, obviously he's being the, and being the first representative, representative of human humanity where Jesus comes and he is the second or the last Adam. And he is the perfect representative of humanity who never sins and never transgresses God's commands. So, and that also falls into, uh, First Timothy two fourteen, which says, "And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed." So, um, all of this, all like basically, transgression is tied so closely to, uh, really, to that that event in Genesis three, and Scripture beats that drum over and over and over again. And of course, you see other places as well, like you see, for example. Um, you see all of the all of the commands that um, that Moses that God gave through Moses about what a king sh- king of Israel should do, um, including he should not be marrying foreign wives, he should not have many horses, he should not have um, he should not be having many wives. Period. Not just foreign wives. He should not be storing up much gold. And then we see Solomon um, a while later violating every single one of those things explicitly. And and we see it all throughout history. I mean, scripture, and, well, in history, um, you know, we, we just see it over and over again where people willfully disobey God and, uh, and face the consequences. And we see it in our lives as, too, as well. We, we know we do this. We don't want to admit it. You're absolutely right. We all want to be a victim. But when we are in solitude and have a chance to be honest with ourselves, we all recognize we transgress all the time. All right, so let's talk about some cautions with understanding this doctrine. Um, I'll, I'll go first. It's the it's the what we kind of let off the episode with. Does God really expect us to keep all of His commands? Um, and the simple answer is yes. He expects. He requires perfection, righteousness, holiness from us, uh, from all humanity. Uh, he did not give the commands merely as a way to show how broken we are. He gave us the commands to obey. 
Um, and even in Christ, we still struggle to obey, but we are expected to. God does not grade us on a curve. He does not say, okay, well, you're in Christ now, so you're fine. Don't worry about obeying. No, we are to obey. Now, here's the beauty, as we talked about earlier. Positionally, in Christ, we are fully righteous. We are credited with Christ's perfect obedience. So that is why we stand forgiven and righteous before the Father at all times, no matter what. Because positionally, the way God sees us, how we stand in position before God, is fully forgiven and fully righteous, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But experientially, we live as a fraud. We don't live out our true identity. Uh, We lapse into our old nature, the old dead nature that was crucified with Christ. Um, And instead, we live as a fraud. That's where we need to repent. That's where we are already forgiven, but we repent to turn away from that and say, no, no, I don't want to live as the dead self anymore. I want to live as my true self. So does God expect us to obey all of his commands? Yes. We will fail on earth as long as we draw breath. But when Christ returns, if we're still alive and he returns then, or if we die and we're taken to be with him, for from that point forward, we will be obedient because the sin will no longer be part of us. The next question uh, and really next caution that comes with this is, is the yeah, but. And so those are always fun. So because yeah. we hear them all the time, like, well, you know, yeah, sure. The Bible says this and we shouldn't do this, but it also says, you know, well, you shouldn't eat shellfish and or wear polycotton blends. And <laughs> <laughs> which I might be doing right now. Maybe. So <laughs> sinner. Um, yeah. <laughs> So uh, this is this is this is a difficult uh, this there is an honest question in there, um, despite the fact that most often you hear this as a defeater argument um, because someone really just doesn't want to wants to wants to ignore what you're saying. But the the real question is, is, is what do we do with the Old Testament commands that either don't make sense contextually to us today or seem to have been fulfilled. And so this is this is where um, this is where there is this there is generally among Protestants a common view of the Old Testament law, which is a threefold perspective that that um, in the law there is there are civil laws, ceremonial laws, and there are moral laws. Um, this is a very popular view. Yes, there are people who do not agree with this entirely, or they agree with it in part. Um, Many people would actually like to contextualize all of God's commands, again, especially in a postmodern, my truth is my truth, but your truth may not be your truth um, kind of context in which we live. But what we do need to recognize is that, that according to Scripture itself, there are some commands themselves that are no longer required. Because Christ fulfilled them. The ones that Christ, and Christ perfectly fulfilled all of the commands, but there are some that he not only fulfilled, but he completed. So think about, for example, the um, many of the ceremonial laws um, that were part of the religious system for the Jews. Those are all fulfilled. The sacrificial system doesn't need to, we don't sacrifice anything 
um, from the perspective of we don't sacrifice a, a spotless lamb every time we gather together um, as as God's people. Um, because to pay for our sin and to to be in his presence and to have right standing with him because Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, has been slain and he has risen again. He took away our sin forever. So that's just an example of that and probably the easiest one. There's there's certain yeah. other ones like food laws and the the prohibitions are around mixed fabrics. And so there are there were reasons for some of those things. Some of them may have had to do with false worship um, as yeah. well. Um, there are there are different views on, on these these kinds of things. So I don't think you're worshiping a false god if you're wearing a poly cotton blend today. Some people may get uppity depending on what sports team is on your t-shirt. But uh, but yeah, because I don't have a sports, I don't care. So well, and you wear the same black shirt all the time. So there's nothing. On it's your not shirt. the exact same black shirt. Thank you. Yeah, it's not the same. I should <laughs> let me clarify. Yet it's not the same. You don't wear one shirt all. The, well, I don't think you do. No. 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 Okay. Uh, no, I have many of yeah, the same and, shirt. And I think this is um, this three-part view of scripture makes a lot of sense, and it, it's helpful to organize. And just I don't know if we said it, so just to be clear, in case we didn't, the civil law would be the laws that God gave for Israel as a nation. The ceremonial laws were the ones God gave them to worship in the Old Testament, and the moral laws are the ones that reflect His identity. So. The moral laws, they would say, those are kept at all times, no matter what. So not murdering reflects God's, he is the one who gives life. He is the author, giver, and taker of life. Therefore, that's a moral law that does not change across context, no matter what. Time, um, culture, doesn't, doesn't matter. Those stay put. The ceremonial laws, as you're describing, have changed because Christ has completed many of them. And so some would say, not only do we do we not have to sacrifice, some would go farther and say, we should not, because we are undermining Christ's sacrifice. It says he sacrificed once and for all. So, you know, there's there's an interesting uh, caveat on that. The civil laws, they would say, well, those were just for Israel. We have our own civil laws here in the United States now, or Canada, or wherever you may be. Um, and so that's kind of, some would say, okay, so you can set aside the civil and ceremonial, but you don't set aside the moral. Those who would push back on this view, and again, this is the common view. I would dare say most of our listeners are probably saying, yeah, that's right. That That's how you see it. Some would push back, not disagreeing with the conclusion, for example, that we can eat shellfish, but the path by which we get there. They would say, wait a minute, I'm uncomfortable when we say that some laws don't matter because God does expect us to keep all laws. He has given us laws. It's finding the heart. Our job is to find the heart behind why did God prohibit shellfish? There's a principle in there somewhere. There's a moral aspect to it somewhere. And we just don't set aside, don't just quickly set it aside and go to a a seafood buffet. Take and put it under the microscope, find God's heart, and where, how can you apply that today's context somehow and be obedient? And I appreciate that, uh, that view. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to give that fuller perspective of why some would push back on this, uh, even though, again, they would in- agree with the conclusion. Yeah, and, and I think it is really important to reference the, the, the civil law distinction as well, because... So many of those civil laws actually fa- form 
the foundation of the laws that most Western countries live under today, uh, because historically there has been some veneer of Christianity that has affected culture. Um, whether whether through genuine believers or just or just cultural Christianity in its time, day and time, um, those things are at play because of because of what's in Scripture, and we should recognize that. Uh, but we should, as we think about civil law, we do need to remember that Israel was a theocracy. And so it, that means it was a nation that was ruled by its God overtly. Um, nations like ours, so whether we're talking about Canada or the United States, uh, England, anywhere, um, most other countries in the world are not overtly theo- theocratic, um, particularly ones that have a form of democracy. Um, they, they, they run under the guise of not, (laughs) um, and that's, um, and I say that because we all worship something. And so there you go. There you got your, your big, your big statement there. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but we do have to recognize that even that when we think about the civil laws, we should see the, see how they play out in, in our, like how a form of them play out in our society. But we also have to recognize that even if, even, even if we say, yes, we're expected to obey these two, we have to say, well, how do they obey from the sense that the church, that the church is not set up as a, as an earthly nation and a theocratic one at that. So it gets very complicated very, very quickly. Well, and, and it kind of takes me to the third warning that I would share, and it's we can't miss the heart of our obedience. And and I think there are two aspects of this. First, as we're talking about now, we got to pursue understanding God's heart behind the laws he gave. Um, I, I think one thing that really hurts us is when we take a utilitarian view of obedience and say, well, God told me that I should do X, Y, Z, therefore I'm going to do it, period, just because I have to do it. And we kind of define that as, you know, look me, I'm just being faithful. I'm being trusting and I'm being obedient. I get credit for that. I think that is not the best approach. I I think what we want to do is, is ask those why questions as a two-year-old is prone to ask why, because of inquisitive nature, um, you know, a longing to understand not, you can ask why in two ways you can ask why in defiance or because you are curious why in defiance is not proper toward God? When we ask God why, and it's really a veiled way of saying, God, you're wrong, hear me and follow me, that's sin. But when we go to God and say, I don't understand why, I believe he delights in that. Um, And so when we put these laws, these commands under the microscope and really try to understand what's God's heart, what is he communicating in this? What does he want me to understand about him, about the way he designed things and about me in light of that? That is the first step. And then we want to engage our hearts in this. We want to obey out of love, out of gratitude, with joy. I I mean, I have this conversation with my kids all the time. Aaron, I imagine you do too. You know, right now we are in this period of time because of COVID where we are distance educating. Um, our, our school has given us the option to either be in person or at home. And about a half of the school population has decided to be at home, including our three kids. And it's a struggle. 
it is a struggle trying to balance our time. Um, my wife is doing studies, uh, just normal life, me, work, and so forth, and the kids coming into this new rhythm of being students at home where they're too comfortable. And so we keep reminding them, no, try, take this seriously. Consider mom as a teacher, respect her as, as you would, and listen to her and be, you know, get up on time and do your work. But one of the things that we are undergirding this whole message is with, and struggle or strive rather to do that with joy. I don't want my kids obeying my wife with a scowl on their face. I'm not going to credit that as righteous on their part. When they do that, I'm going to call them out. Yeah, begrudging obedience is not obedience. Yeah, I'm going to call them out and say, no, 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 you're disrespecting your mother. You're obeying her, but you're not respecting her. I want them to lovingly obey. I want them to joyfully obey their mother. How much more do we want and should we do that with God? That we want to strive to obey with joy, with trust in all. So if there are commands that we struggle with, and we may be obeying them, Mm -hmm. And so we may think, okay, well, I'm good with God because I'm not doing this. I am not, you know, pick your command. I'm not transgressing it. I'm good. Scorecard's good, right? Maybe not. Go deeper. What is your heart? And if your heart is anything less than joyful obedience, delight in pleasing God, and again, obeying not because we want to be righteous, but because we are declared righteous in Christ, then there's something amiss. All right, we, we've kind of hinted at this. Let's just kind of move on to our last. What difference should this doctrine make in our lives then? Aaron, you, you take a run at this one first. Yeah, so um, really you kind of hit this one really well. So this is just going to be a quick restatement. But um, we need to be take careful account of our conduct. And so that, that includes the why of behind why we obey. So we don't do it begrudgingly. We do it. We, we aim to do it joyfully. And from a sincere heart out of love for Jesus, love for the gospel, um, thankfulness to God in all things. And, and I mean, ultimately, that it's a worship issue. So that's, that's what we need to understand is, is obedience is a part of worship. So if we worship God, we will obey him. Um, ultimately, what difference this doctrine should make is that it should... It should cause us and give us warrant to rest in Christ's righteousness. So by that, we need to recognize that, as has been said multiple times in many ways throughout this episode, that we are all going to to continue to sin and fall down and periodically, tra- overtly transgress God's commands. We are going to mess this up. Not just miss the mark, not just not, just not do what we should be doing, or, or do, but actually do the things that we should not do as well. So if we, but if, but the good news for us is, is that if we are in Christ, we are in Christ, our sins are forgiven. And when we turn to him in repentance, when we sin as believers, we are forgiven and we are free and it doesn't mean that we are free to sin as much as we want to the greatest degree that we possibly want. If we are showing that we continue to love sin and, and defy God's commands while professing to be, to be in Christ, well, then we are guilty of, of profaning his name and taking his name in vain. We're violating one of, one of the greatest commands um, that God gave in doing so. And so instead, 
we recognize that as we pursue Christ, we are it's going to be our meandering path toward righteousness for us. And so we're gonna we're gonna stray and stumble and fall down. Um, in all the true kind of ways that we can use those words um, and not as excuses, <laughs> but we we will continue to per- move forward, even if it's just by inches. That's a that's a good word. Let's, let's wrap it there. It's a great word to end on. Aaron, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed this conversation about sin and transgression. Um, I hope our listeners have as well and, and see that, yeah, it's, it's kind of a heavy somber topic at first, but then when you kind of pushed through it to its completion and get to what Christ has done, there's joy involved in even this doctrine. So I hope our listeners have experienced that. I do want to thank you for listening to today's episode of this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple podcast or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 